You May Contribute a Verse is a show that relies on you. If you value the words you're hearing and the creators being represented, support their work, engage with them on social media by listening to the back end of the show, and aid in the continuing mission of Hashtag Verse Show by retweeting, sharing, responding, commenting, and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. You May Contribute a Verse. I'm Josh Munkin, and this is the podcast You May Contribute a Verse, which has a simple mandate to give voice to creators, their struggles, successes, and the stories of their creation. And now, hard not to feel like good friends with my guest this week if you've interacted with her before. It's also hard to stay away from reductive labeling of people as authors or creators or teachers, since we do contain multitudes, but for Samantha Berger, Bon Vivant seems an apt label. Samantha has an unmistakable energy, a magnetism that draws opportunity to her. So much opportunity, in fact, that our long conversation is getting split in two. First part this episode, second part the following. Full disclosure, our conversation was cut almost exactly in half thanks to a momentary Skype outage. For those who may not know Samantha Berger, you're missing out on a real good and delightful person. It would be impossible for me to track down all 80 of her children's books to read, as some of them aren't even published under her name proper, but the recent ones are really good and usually pretty close at hand at your local library or bookstore. It's also impossible to track down all the rest of the TV, illustration, voiceover, and other miscellaneous, yet critical, writing threads that make up the Samberger tapestry. Each of her picture books and other works, though, shines with the same vibrancy and creative pleasure that comes through in speaking to her. We get into a lot of detail about her recent books in the latter part of this episode, as well as the first part of the next. Especially as it comes up in the next episode, though, I have to acknowledge how Samantha and I were connected originally. As Samantha said to me via email very wisely, believe in yourself and your work. Get it to the place where you love it. All it takes is one person to believe in you back. Believe in someone else as well. I have loved making the show for the last four months. I put some energy into the world after my initial conversation with children's book author Kelly Light that I'd love to speak with someone, anyone, connected with Sesame Street the year that the show turns 50. Kelly Light, thank you, Kelly, believed in me back and connected me to Samantha. Ask and ye shall receive. As it turns out, I am happy to report and proud to tell you that Samantha Berger has been nominated for an Emmy for her writing with Sesame Street and Communities, a branch of the Sesame Initiative you may have heard about that deals with sensitive topics like homelessness, divorce, and foster care. I'll leave some of that for the next episode, though. The more I read and learned about her as I prepared for our conversation, the more I felt intimidated by compressing all her writing experience and otherwise into just one chat. We do manage to cover in this conversation the gamut from differences with your parents to zine publication to corporate culture to supporting peers to heavier backdrops to joyous works. Samantha Berger's words in that email she wrote about believing in yourself, getting support, and believing in others resonates throughout the next hour. What could have been a very self-focused trip through her incredibly prolific writing career thus far is peppered with support, recognition, acknowledgement, and love for those she looks up to and those who have helped her get to where she is. Here is part one of Samantha Berger's verse. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you doing? Okay. Are you caffeinated? I am. I sure am. You were from your all caps email. That you said. <laughs> I know, right? But that was from last night, late, late last night. Oh, yeah, that's right. When the caffeine is <laughs> dying down and it's just a pure unbridled anger. 
Right. I I actually am one of those people that writes way into the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> so yeah. Based I on really email like timestamps, I'm not I'm not real surprised to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is that is that a schedule that you prefer? You know, um, when th there's been times in my life where I, I had to work uh, real grown up jobs and um, and I would have to be at work early. And uh, so I, I can do that as well. But when I'm in my natural writing groove and I'm honoring it, I will stay up really late <laughs> writing into the wee wee hours <laughs> of the night. The, the, it's the real, uh, the, the, the traditional writer's life is just solitude and darkness. <laughs> Contra contrasted by your immense joy and, and effervescent energy. Well, you know, you have to, when the muse sings, you, you have to harmonize. So that could be at any time. Seriously. Yeah. You just got to listen. I'm, I'm glad to be having this conversation with you, Martha Ottersley. Um, <laughs> my, my first time uh, having a conversation with an anthropomorphic river mammal. Um, I is, is that really, uh, that's, I guess, my first question that leads into your history. Is that really a, a pseudonym that you went under? Yes. Okay. So, you know, there's always a story behind the story. And sometimes that story is better than the actual story. Or <laughs> 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 the word story. Okay. So, um, yeah, uh, I had a book series with Little Brown called Martha Doesn't Say Sorry. Uh, Martha Doesn't Share. She was an otter with a lot of attitude. And um, I write a lot of books that are licensed properties as well. So like Dora the Explorer books and Blue's Clues books and oh, just tons, Shimmer and Shine. And um, at a certain point, my literary agent had recommended to me to have a pseudonym for those books. Um, for the Muppet books and whatever, so that they didn't come up under the, the first thing when you Googled me as an author wasn't those books. So I decided to take the character from Martha Doesn't Say Sorry, Martha the Otter, and use the name Martha T. Ottersley as my... <laughs> as my pseudonym <laughs> so but that that wasn't until after martha as a character existed right, i think i had that 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 backwards um because you know googling you and trying to prep for this conversation with your massive amount of work it's it's hard to establish like a like a definitive history of that's uh, of publication and and so you still do licensed properties i do yeah cool I probably <laughs> unwittingly read something of yours. Like we've got a couple of Shimmer and Shine books that I'm reading to my girls <laughs> in rotation <laughs> these days. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, I mean, writers got to write, you know. <laughs> you got to make a living any way you can. And uh, so, yeah, I take on a ton of projects, tons of projects. R writers got to write, but writers don't got to write as much as you seem to got to write. <laughs> the muse, the muse seems to throw you, uh, flow through you quite a lot. Uh, the muse sings to me often, and I do like singing back, so that works out well. Um, but also, um, I know this is going to be shocking news, but um, writers, you know, got to write to make a living. A lot of people, think, a lot of people actually say to us, you know. You're a rich and famous author, and it's like hilarious. 
It's like <laughs> very few of those in the world, and and in, in in children's books, even fewer. So um, yeah, I write I write lots of projects and television and books, and uh, oh, I'll write like uh, the consumer products copy that goes on sweatshirts for Shark Week and uh, Naked and Afraid. Oh, wow. I'll just take on tons of projects. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of projects. It's wow. fun, though. It's fun, though, to juggle a lot of different writing projects. Well, so let, I guess we can uh, – that was going to be a later question, but it's pertinent for for now. <laughs> um, the backs of uh, of some of your books say, like, you're in Santa Monica or you're in New York, and or you balance, like, fl- floating between the two, and it sounds really fabulous, but there really is something to that. Like, the reality of the working writer life is that you got to keep the churn up. Sure. And, and and is it? I guess that's for you to clarify. It's like, is it is it less fabulous lifestyle than more like necessity of needing to be in Santa Monica and New York for for work stuff? A lot of publishing is in New York, and a lot of animation is in California, and uh, they're both honestly fabulous places to live. Um, I was my whole life in New York. I mean, I was born in Philadelphia and lived there until I was about 11. But then I moved to New York and uh, went to high school in New York and um, lived in New York pretty much most of my grown-up life. And then uh, I was working for Nickelodeon for about 12 years. And um, about 10 years ago, they were like, we're moving you to California. And I said, no way, man. I don't drive. I don't know how to drive a car been in New York my whole life. I'm not doing this. Uh, but they, they literally made me an offer I couldn't refuse. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I moved out here. I learned to drive. That was exciting. And, um, and then over the last 10 years, like kind of went back and forth a lot and, um, it works out well. I still don't really drive. <laughs> at, at what age did you learn to drive? Uh, technically I learned at 25, but then I didn't really drive for another 15 years. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. It's never too late. That's a, me- that's a message. It might to be too that. late. <laughs> I'm not sure it's safe for me or anyone else for me to be. I'm very nervous driving a car. I'm aware of my own mortality. Um, I'm not sure my back ever touches the seat. I, very nervous. <laughs> so, not, not, so uh, one o'clock in the morning, writing children's books in your comfort zone, being behind the wheel of a thousand, uh, four thousand pound automobile, not in <laughs> comfort zone. <laughs> exactly. Know your strengths. You know. Yeah. Right. Right. So let's. <laughs> so I, well, let's go back back to the history because I want to I want to pick through this because you you you've been around knowing that you. I have okay. been. <laughs> All right, so I'll pick away the whole thing until there's Do nothing it. left. Bones. So you grew up in New York. Yes. New York proper. I grew up in Park Slope, Brooklyn for a lot of it. And that's, then uh, in the village for a lot of my 20s and 30s. And yeah. That's, that's New York proper. There you go. <laughs> did, you, did you grow up in media? Did I grow up in media? Well, uh, like my professional career is pretty much... Yeah, in media. It went from Scholastic. Well, first it went from doing independent comics, uh, writing them and drawing them, to uh, being an editor at Scholastic. 
from Scholastic to Nickelodeon. I was there for a really long time. I always did picture books on the side. Uh, I always had that sort of built into my contracts. And then, you know, took on side gigs wherever I could that were the licensed books and um, doing voiceovers for cartoon, anything I could kind of get my hands on. And so, yeah, that seems all media, right? I mean, before that, I, I was a caterer in college and uh, worked in many a restaurant. <laughs> uh, Got to make a living. To, uh, yeah. yeah, I dressed up as a giant carrot and, and told people that the... Uh, the commissary carrot cake in Philadelphia was the best. Stood on a corner, uh, dressed as a carrot. So that was that was an interesting one. Um, it seems like something you might do electively now, <laughs> right? That's media. <laughs> yeah. Did, did, did you? I guess what I'm what I'm asking with that question is: Do you, did you come from that in your family? Did, did was that something instilled in you by something like your parents did, or is this pure like? I just really love children's media and I, this is what I wanted to get into and comics and, and all that. Yeah. Neither one of my parents, my, both of my parents were in academia. They're both professors. And so not, not so much on the and later in life, they both went on to um, like write books and uh, my dad made a documentary about jazz, which is awesome. So, but at the time when I was coming up, both of them were teaching college um, they were not in media. <laughs> it's like, a, well, I don't know about the opposite of media, but it's pretty far. Um, yeah. was, uh, wh what were the independent comics? This is nothing that I've come across in, in prepping to know things about you so that I can ask <laughs> about them. <laughs> you know, I, I always loved comics. I loved graphic novels. I really, I really, it's one of my favorite, um, art forms. This was long before graphic novels became a thing. And uh, I, I loved them so much and collected them and um, and and zines was the thing. <laughs> so I loved um, two in particular. I loved this political comic called World War Three Illustrated, which has been around for like over 30 years and is created by Peter Cooper and Seth Tabachman. Um, and uh, and they you know, published their own stuff and then all their friends and each of the episodes, each of the issues has like a political theme. And then I also loved this one called Girl Talk, um, which Sabrina Jones and Isabella Bannerman and um, Anne, I'm blanking on her last name, uh, did with also an anthology of a lot of, of, of women comics. Um, so, I decided, I, I saw that Peter Cooper was um, teaching a visual storytelling class at the School of Visual Arts, like a, a grad class, um, and I took it, which was one of the best courses I've ever had, and um, everybody in the class was amazing, and it was kind of autobiographical comics, um, and uh, I decided to partner with Ursula Osteen and we started a comic together, uh, a zine comic together called Pure Friction. It is not for kids. <laughs> That's why it may not have come up. <laughs> what, so what, what did you do with Pure Friction? I mean, zine implies sort of like self-distribution. Yeah. I, I don't know about handing it out necessarily, but, um, but, but not traditional publishing. Oh yeah, this was also, this was like pre uh, 
ability to self-publish so easily. So we would like take the, <laughs> the actual, um, files, the actual artwork out to a printer in the middle of Long Island City, which was not built up at the time, and um, hand curate and put the pages together. We did every part of the publishing process, including this distribution, go around to St. Mark's Comics and Forbidden Planet and try to get your comic in the store. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a very, it was an incredible learning experience, really kind of learn all the parts of, of how to do that. To, to kind of touch, yeah, every every aspect of the publishing process. I mean, that that's an education in itself, but did it open any doors for you for Scholastic or otherwise? Uh, yeah, I think that, um, well, first of all, visual storytelling. <laughs> now I'm going to go on my nerd rant about visual storytelling. Please do. This is why you're here. <laughs> So, you know, part of the reason why I think that this is such a high art form is that um, visual storytelling and sequential images make you have to think about every element on the page from like how you direct the reader's eye to what font somebody's voice looks like when it's written down. Like, what does your voice look like when it's written down? Um, as, as a, as a graphic, what do your words look like? And, um, what would your theme music be playing in that scene? If you could hear the music on the page, like what's the mood of it? And, um, there's the sort of, uh, icons, emojis that we're all familiar with and back then, right? If you saw like, uh, a dollar sign and an asterisk and a, and a, a bunch of, you know, uh, a number sign and an exclamation point and a question mark, you'd think that character was swearing, right? And that's like a convention that we all know and accept, but to make up your own of those is really something exceptional and special. And, and I thought that Peter Cooper was really great at doing that. He had a uh, comic book that is, he calls it an unauthorized autobiography. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I just thought it was so, so good. And, um, and the other person who's really great at that is Scott McCloud, who does Understanding Comics. And I, I got to take his workshop as well. It's like, I've never learned so much as I learned studying with those guys. <laughs> it was like really incredible. Yeah, grand, grand masters. Yeah. So um, once you think about all those elements, like the theme music and the font and the way you're dragging somebody's eye around the page and how much you can, uh, what you're showing versus what you're telling and the juxtaposition between the images and, you know, is it a literal juxtaposition where you're hearing Sinatra's New York, New York, and you're seeing fabulous images of New York, or is it an ironic juxtaposition where you're hearing that song, but you're seeing images of of people without homes all over New York and garbage mountains. Um, that's a real example from Peter Cooper's comics. And I just thought, made me think about the world in a totally different place and the way that we create art. So making comics really important to me. <laughs> uh, and I have so much respect for that medium. Yeah. So uh, at that time, were you, I mean, I, I know Illustrator is one of your talents now. Were you drawing those comics as well as writing? Yeah. And not just making like, 
I, this is a term I've I've learned through doing this pod, podcast is not not just making dummies, but but actually doing the illustration. Oh, the full illustration, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, wh when it came time to to move on to Scholastic, um, I, I guess one of the things I'm trying to explore is like what you had studied at SVA sequential art and comic making and and things, um, but your you had a background in publishing and and whatever that took you to being a, a book editor? I actually uh, went to Temple University for English with uh, the concentration in writing. Um, whether or not that informed my experience in publishing is hard to say. <laughs> I did the comics first before the before going on to Scholastic. But, um, you know, I was just really lucky to uh, get into to Scholastic. There was a woman there named Claudia Cole who wrote, who, who ran the professional books department and she s believed in me, you know, and it just takes one person to believe in you and give you that first break. Once I was in there, I was like, okay, <laughs> I will now give me any challenge that's put before me and I will do it. And so they did. They, 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 uh, at the 11th hour, they, they were about to publish uh, a collection of reading materials and they didn't get the rights to use something. And they came to me, they were like, we heard that you're, you write, uh, would you be interested in, in writing an essay to replace this one that we can't use? <laughs> you have 24 hours. And I was like, yep, <laughs> let's All go. All right. Rise of the challenge. <laughs> yep. And that was my first published piece at Scholastic. Is this last minute turnaround 24 hour essay? You have since, I mean, saying yes to having this conversation with no foreground knowledge, presumably being, having been asked by Kelly Light, you strike me as a yay-sayer. <laughs> I am a yay-sayer. I'm, I'm a, from the school of improv, yes and person. Also yeah. Kelly's amazing and so is Steve Light, both huge friends and fans of their work. So I'm glad that they put us in touch. Yeah, shout out to those guys. But that that yay saying sounds like it's helped quite a lot. Um, yeah, you know, I, I sometimes it's not. I'm I'm not gonna say like I believe a hundred percent now. In like you always lean in and you always say yes because you do get taken advantage of. But I do think when you're starting out in your career or it's something you really want to do and you know you're meant to do it, then yeah, you do it. <laughs> you stay up all night and you write that essay. Yeah. <laughs> you you had mentioned, uh, I don't remember the words that you used, but something like uh, you had always had children's books built into your contracts. Was that even as early as Scholastic or, or was that with Nickelodeon? Uh, mostly with Nickelodeon, but at Scholastic, I had the opportunity to publish so many books. Of your own. Of my own and ghostwriting and editing and, you know, uh, they just put the, Scholastic's a powerhouse with many, many imprints. And they also have um, Scholastic book fairs, which many of us grew up on. And uh, they have very accessible and inexpensive books. Um, so between Scholastic book clubs and book fairs and everything they put out, with professional books and education, uh, then all of those incredible Blue Sky Press and Arthur Levine and um, Cartwheel, Orchard Books, I could go on and on. Scholastic's just like, that is an opportunity beacon <laughs> yeah. to work there and to get to work on all those things. 
was it only uh, at Nickelodeon that uh, that it turned to picture books? I think the answer is no, but I'm I'm trying to get like pin, pinpoint this down where it turned from comics to 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 kids' picture books. Okay, so first was the picture. First was the comics. I was always doing picture books. I was working on them all through college, uh, writing them and illustrating them. Um, but none of those were published. Um, and then, uh, right. So I self-published pure friction with Ursula. That was first mm-hmm. went to Scholastic, um, published a bunch of, but like one of my books at Scholastic at the time ended up being with the great Melissa sweet. And, um, it's called it's spring. And it was just like on assignment. Like, could you, we need a book about spring. Can you write a book about spring? <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns out that it's like, you know, Melissa Sweet's like one of my favorite illustrators of all time. And uh, and I worked on Let's Find Out magazine and I would write stories on the spot for that. And a lot of those, they were like, hey, we're going to adapt this into a word book. So it was like a lot of happy accidents, a lot of publishing. And I was, so I was doing picture books the whole time I was there too. And, and other kinds of books, educational books, any, any book I could get my, my mitts on. And then, um, oh, and I was also narrating books on, books on tape then. So I was also doing that. But I will say that I was always a pretty loud and rowdy person in the publishing house. Many times you go into publishing and you just hear like cl- the clacking of keys. <laughs> and then it was like my office, you know, filled with Christmas lights and puppets and toys and playing music. And <laughs> oh, I, I also did a brief stint out of college working at Rhino Records. So I'm a big music nerd and I was trying to gently play some 90s hip hop. But, you know, in publishing, you're allowed when you're that person. So always you, but, fireworks coming out of my office. It's well, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, that first point of being a, a yay sayer is is good, but there's also this like unapologetically boisterous and energetic, um, uh, both of which, if handled like a lit stick of dynamite, can be problematic. But if handled like a you know a, a torch, can really create opportunities too. I'm like sure you're, you're, both you're... of those things, <laughs> both problematic and torch fire. <laughs> 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 I mean, you certainly par- parlayed both aspects into into a pretty pretty decent level of success. It seems like. I appreciate that. At least it appears from my research and from the outside. Um, so, uh, t- tell me about moving to Nickelodeon. Okay, so um, on my own time, when I wasn't <laughs> uh, doing, when I wasn't at, at Scholastic full time, or. Uh, doing those other things on the side or trying to make comics or whatever. I have always been a big cartoon head. I see every cartoon that comes out in the theaters still. Um, I just love it. I think it's magical. I watched it all the time. So Nickelodeon was always on in my house. I knew all the shows. I knew all the theme songs. I had heard that they might be hiring a full-time writer. So I... Hopped up to Viacom, right? It's all in the same building. At that time, it was like MTV and Comedy Central and VH1. I don't even remember the other companies they had, but and Nickelodeon, right? All in the same building. And 
And and for non New York people, uh, I just I'm trying to zero in on that as a phenomenon. Sure. That, that okay. to to go look for a job, you could just like go upstairs in the same building. <laughs> well, it was sort of like uh, yeah, it was a different time, but um, it was also like you couldn't go. It wasn't like you could go on the Viacom website, right? There was like yeah. there was a printed book of jobs that were available, and you had to go to the front desk to get it in your hands. And it was thick. It was a thick printed out list of jobs. <laughs> um, and uh, so I'd heard about that. So I went up there and I got my hands on that on that printed out book. And I thought, wow, they're hiring a full time writer like that is a job made for me. I know all these cartoons. So I um, an amazing person, Abby Miller, like helped me. I, I didn't even know her. She was a friend of a friend. But she, uh, she was like, I like your, I like your energy. I like your, I like your moxie. I like the cut of your jib. Like, come in here and let's meet. So I met with her, and she was like, Wow, you know all of our shows. Like, yeah, the, uh, that's that's you know, people like that. You know, if you go for a job somewhere, um, and you, you know all their stuff. Like now, you can do, you can do your homework. You can stalk them online. You can do your research. You can you know, in an hour, become an expert. But back then it was like, you couldn't, you really had to know <laughs> what you were talking about. Right. So, um, she really opened the door for me and was like, I think you should meet with the editorial director. And I think you should like tell, you take the writer's test and tell him that you watch the channel all the time, sing the theme song for him, do your thing. So I went in and we did that. And, uh, and we had an amazing connection right off the bat. So his name is McPaul Smith. It's like MC Paul Smith. And I, I'm telling you these people's names because I really believe in crediting people and shouting people out, especially the people who have helped you in your career. Like I, you don't forget the people who helped you in your career. And, and you really have not forgotten. <laughs> And I hope that other people would do the same because I, I try to like lift other people up in their career a lot. Um, so McPaul and, and I ended up talking about music for an hour and a half. <laughs> did you, did you sing, sing him a theme song? Oh, I definitely sung him a theme song. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I just got a really good feeling about you. I, you know, so he said, go home, do the writer's test. And... I think it was giving him maybe two pieces that were meant for Nickelodeon and Nick Jr. And I was like, I'll give you 10. If there is one thing I will say about me, for better or worse, it is I am above and beyond. <laughs> I am extra. <laughs> Those are the that, words that, that tracks <laughs> me well. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I did. I, you know. Nowadays, I, I, that might be like, wow, this is way too much to read and too much information and nobody has an attention span that's longer than bullet points. But back then, it was like, oh, you're going to make my life so much easier. <laughs> and I do believe in that. If anybody, if anybody I'm hiring says to me, I'm going to make your job so much easier, that's my job to read your mind and try to, you know be a second go-to delegation person. I'm like, great. That's what I want. That's, that's exactly what I want. So he hired me 
And then I, when he went to work on Backyardigans, I moved on to be first head writer and then editorial director and then uh, what they called director of creative. I don't know what that is, but um, running the brand image group at Nickelodeon. So I was there for 12 years and uh, and it was a, a glorious time. It really was. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, Nickelodeon is definitely an environment where uh, the, the boisterousness will not be a, a stick of dynamite. No, it would be helpful. Yeah. Then it was, uh, you know, it was everything that you think it would be like people riding tricycles down the halls and having little sing alongs of Jesus Christ Superstar in the cubicle without any doors. Everyone could hear. Yep. <laughs> is, is it hard to be productive in an environment like that? It's not. It, it actually like fuels. You know, it keeps you really immature, which is critical. And uh, it, it, it sort of, um, there's a, a granted permission to be imaginative and silly. And um, as long as you get your work done, if you don't get your work done, that's a problem. Stop being silly. <laughs> Sit down and, and write that, and draw. That, that's an issue, but... Um, yeah, we got our stuff done. So it was, <laughs> it was pretty good. We, we made some really, some really good stuff. I mean, yeah, prevailing culture in, in a unified way in an office like that really counts for a lot. It does. And it's so important. This I can't stress enough. Like if you get to work with people that you genuinely like and respect and they make you laugh and you make them laugh, and you hang out <laughs> outside of work and you stand behind the stuff you made that that is rare rare and special yeah. so it really was a a good old time you but you there was eventually a time to leave nickelodeon Definitely. right yes yeah <laughs> which which was a like i i was that i'll phrase it like a question was that a i want a life where i can stay up till one in the morning and, and write and then record like record a podcast at eleven o'clock in the morning. Was it a, was it a life control sort of like uh, decision for you, or or when was that time? Well, I think that the, there's a couple of things. Like the culture of Nickelodeon itself was shifting and becoming more corporate and more. There used to be a philosophy at Nickelodeon that was Disney is for perfect kids, but Nickelodeon is for every kid, and it was like we're going to put on the kids who are like freakish and weird and <laughs> we don't believe there's any such thing as freakish and weird we believe that's what kids are and so that's why it was really successful during that those years it was really you know great and then the leadership shifted and they were literally i was in a meeting and someone actually said the words out loud i don't want to see any ugly kids on nickelodeon ever again and oh, it, you wow. could feel like that you could feel the <laughs> <laughs> you feel the tension in the room or like, okay, the glory days are over. So, so part of it was like, uh, changes from, 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 from the top. Uh, another part of it was, um, that sometimes as you climb the corporate ladder, you get farther and farther from actually creating stuff. Um, so like you might have a big title, like I was the VP of animated shorts or animated shorts. Okay. That's funny. I'll give you that. Like, 
it makes you think of dancing shorts. Um, right. <laughs> but but um, yeah, it's uh, it's like you're in meetings all day. And you're not actually writing a lot of the stuff. Um, so sometimes that 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 is a that, that's the way of the business. The 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 more you climb and the higher you go, the farther you get away from actually being a maker. Yeah. And so I missed that a lot. So I didn't leave Nickelodeon, but I shifted to writing on Tough Puppy, one of their shows, uh, and being in the writers' room full time. I see. Okay. Um... Did that last, I guess, as long as Tough Puppy lasted? Um, I think Tough Puppy stayed around a little bit longer than that. I, I might have been out of there. I had to go back to New York. So it was like, that was a tough call, but yeah. it was fine. <laughs> any any hard feelings uh, at the success of Paw Patrol <laughs> versus <laughs> Tough Puppy? No, here's the thing I think is so interesting. Like, I have so I have I have so many friends in the animation industry and in the publishing industry, and I'm genuinely rooting for them. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm so happy if if I see one of my friends just um, Kevin Sullivan just won an Emmy for writing on Loud House, and like I saw people in our industry being mad that they didn't win in the category, and I was just like, but one of our successes is all of our successes like a great show just got and a great writer just got recognized you know so <laughs> it's it's bittersweet um and and i imagine hopefully most of them would if initially begrudgingly say like well loud house is a really like wonderful progressive uh joyous show <laughs> and yeah. like admit that it's a win yeah yeah i guess i guess uh I don't know, I, but I really mean it. Like in publishing too, if one of my friends has a, a book and it does really well, it's like, I'm so happy for them. I, I'm genuinely so happy for them. This is one of the things, and I, I certainly didn't mean to make this like a let, let's go into the chronology of, of Sandberger, no, although no, it's, it. it's really helpful. Um, good, good. But, but one of the things that I, I mean to ask, and we can stop with a sort of chronology of it here, is that is you, you're a big booster. Um, that, that lit dynamite torch enthusiasm and boisterousness really translates to, um, just creating a lot of joy, like with Joyce Wan's book or really any, anybody else that you talk about, uh, on your Twitter or otherwise, um, do you, is that a, a role that you're consciously, um, filling to boost people? Well, I feel like in life, if I haven't left a trail of glitter behind me, then I'm not really doing my job. <laughs> it's a colorful way to put it. <laughs> um, I have that analogy because one time I was actually accidentally spilling glitter out of my pocket as I walked. And then when I noticed it, I was like, oh, that's that's me in a nutshell right there. What a, what a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, okay. Not sure it was environmentally the most sound thing, but... Um, I do, I do consciously, I mean, I, I, I cheerlead people because it's, it's, it's naturally in my, in my uh, DNA to do so. <laughs> and because I am of the Sesame Street generation, I grew up on that and, uh, and the Mr. Rogers one. And I, I really do believe that kindness is the most important thing in the world. Um, and then th we're living in a world where we see the opposite. We see so much not kindness um, every day. And so I'd like to balance that <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> doing, a, doing an end run around cruelty and, uh, and, and creating, creating smiles. Know, 
if yeah. you have if like if you have a moment and something moved you, if it was like, wow, you know, RuPaul's words really inspired me last night, or um, what the Constitution means to me, like, wow, that play, she wrote it and stars in it, and like. It's not, you know, it, it needs to be shouted out or, um, yeah, Joyce Wan, like amazing, amazing, amazing illustrator, person, human being. Um, so many people that uh, they don't always get the PR behind them. They don't always um, have the instant name recognition. And like, I just want to, you know, take a moment to... Um, credit them, maybe turn somebody else onto their work. Maybe just, you know, I think we all need feedback and I'll tell strangers on the street, like your outfit is dope. Like you look amazing, <laughs> you know, because you see for a second that like it makes somebody smile and it makes their day. And, um, like how, how easy is it to do that? It's pretty easy. It's incredibly easy, but what comes along with that is the societal like like weirdness level. Um, that that that's not uh, that's especially today not always super acceptable to do. Agreed. Agreed. To, to randos. Um, but, but I'm but it has, totally comfortable being weird in that way. Sure. <laughs> unapologetically so. Yeah. Definitely unapologetically so. It makes my day to to be like that. I've been writing some upcoming books um, that are kind of about that. Like what happens when you're the giving tree, but it doesn't make you a stump at the end. It makes you really happy. It makes you grow even more from it. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting I like thing that idea. to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and so we can move on and notion of you as an independent author. And I'm, I, I'm trying to explore, you know, we've, me and my two daughters have read as much of your, your stuff as we can get our hands on. And I'm trying to explore like, where do your ideas come from? I'm thinking of like concrete things that are really inspired by reality. Um, right. like, like what if I know there's a real personal bend to that book, but, yeah. but other, otherwise, where does, where does the inspiration come from for you? Well, first let me say, I'm very honored that you guys are reading my books. Like that always means a lot to authors to know. <laughs> so thank you. Um, and then uh, I, for me, I would say my ideas come from so everywhere that it's almost book specific. Like um, the book Bulala Witch Spa, I actually dreamed that book. I woke up, sat up at three o'clock in the morning, said the words witch spot out loud, laughed really hard, wrote it down. And then in the morning I was like, what is that? What does that mean? And I was like, oh, you know, it's like when Halloween's over and all the witches work really hard, they go to a spa and all of the treatments are witchified and you get of your crystal facials and your hag stone massages. So, okay. So sometimes books come to you like in a dream like that. Um, Snooze Fest was like, I had gone to this sloth sanctuary many years ago, 20 years ago uh, in Costa Rica, before sloths were like a thing. They're just such incredible creatures. I think it's remarkable that they can sleep in a tree all for a month and then come down to poop and then go back up the tree. <laughs> so um, I started thinking about like um, 
I actually started thinking about many years later, um, the phenomenon of depression and how sometimes the retreat to sleep is the only escape from, from being, feeling that depressed and that you like get under the covers into the snuggle dome and you just like how wonderful it was to have that. Um, and I started thinking about a, a book, a book where like a, a char characters that are nocturnal and characters that love to sleep would all attend a festival like Coachella that was to sleep. The whole point was to sleep through the entire festival. And so, <laughs> so that's sort of, you know, a really, uh, you wouldn't think that would be the inspiration behind that book, but the combination of sloths and how amazing they are as creatures, real life ones. And then just the, the, the luxuriousness of, of the retreat to sleep being a thing um, was like a, I, I just knew I had to do that book. And Frankenstein was like, my grandpa was very, very cranky. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, when I, when I talk to kids, a lot of times they're like, do you have a cranky son? Is it based on your cranky son? And then they laugh really hard when I say, you know, it's actually my grandpa. Quick note about the edit here at this point. This is the point at which my conversation with Samantha Berger got cut off by a Skype interruption. We picked right back up where we left off, and that part of the conversation will drop next week where we start talking about uh, some thematic elements in her books overall. Stay tuned for that. Thanks so much. Episode 14 of You May Contribute a Verse featuring my conversation with Samantha Berger, children's book author, television writer, editor, voiceover artist, illustrator, and booster is halfway complete. Make sure to listen to the second part of my conversation with Sam in the next episode. Read and buy all of Samantha Berger's books, even the ones under the name Martha T. Ottersley. Recent notables in our household have been Rock What You Got, What If, Snooze Fest, Martha Doesn't Say Sorry, Monsters New Undies, and Snail Mail, though there are lots of others. Samantha's next book about glamorous grandmas, aptly titled Glamma, comes out in September 2019. As of this recording, she's been sharing lots of very glamorous grandmas on her Instagram lately. Speaking of social media, catch Samantha Berger on Twitter at Berger Books, that's B-E-R-G-E-R, -E and on Instagram at SamanthaBerger321. Check SamanthaBerger.com for more. You May Contribute a Verse is a homespun production produced, edited, recorded, conceptualized, and marketed by me, Josh Munkin, from the darkness and comfort of my basement. The title of this show comes from the last line of the Walt Whitman poem, Oh Me, Oh Life, depicting a familiar struggle with the futility of it all and why we should still try. Engage with the show on Twitter at Verse Show. That's V-E-R-S-E-S-H-O-W. I'm on Twitter at Josh Monk, where it's all one word. When I remember to use it, the hashtag Verse Show is where you'll find discussion of the show on Twitter or Instagram. The artwork for You May Contribute a Verse is text overlaid on a photo by Alex Ivey on Unsplash. There's a lot more high-quality, free-usage imagery at Unsplash.com. The show's theme is A Tragic But Happy Horse, the eponymous track from the album by Robbie Czar. Robbie is wonderful. Engage with his music and musings at Partist.com. That's P-A-R-T-I-S-T.com. Subscribe, give us a rating, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. 
My aim with this show is to highlight creators I value and in doing so, encouraging both them and you to create art for yourself and the world. Word of mouth is my marketing method of choice. It's both the best and only way for me to increase the show's audience and profile and the best way to give me feedback about how it's going. And remember the answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse.